Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are a visionary. You have a vision. You just need to create it and bring it to life. Welcome to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with your host, Kate Ebner. Our program will be an hour of inspiration from leaders who are making their visions happen and will set you on the path to having a big impact through your leadership and the life you really want. Now here's your host, Kate Ebner. Good morning and welcome to the show. Last week, we explored A New American Dream with Wendy Filio of the Center for A New American Dream, and she pointed out how important it is to live our dream together in community. Today, I want to carry this theme of community as a vehicle for positive change forward with a visionary guest who's worked all over the world delivering on this idea. My guest today is Deborah Fries, co-author and co-visionary with Meg Wheatley. They've written a powerful new book called Walk Out, Walk On. We're going to be talking about that book today. I'm very excited to have Deborah share with you um, the the amazing and and truly powerful ideas that they have written about. Deborah is a board member at the Burkana Institute, an innovative organization that posits whatever the problem, community is the answer. She's long served on the board there and has been hosting learning journeys that take participants into communities around the world to participate in the life of the local community, and to learn a great deal in the process. Her work has taken her all over the world, to South Africa, Zimbabwe, India, Brazil, Mexico, the United States, and many other places. She's helped create the Burkana Exchange, an initiative of the Burkana Institute, in part to develop a community of fellow pioneers, people who are willing to experiment with groundbreaking work, people who are yearning to create a new future. Good morning, Deborah, and thank you for joining me today. Good morning, Kate. It's lovely to be here. Thank you. I'm glad you're with us. I have been reading your book since it was recommended to me, and I'm finding that I could uh, use it as a study guide over the course of the next year as I myself explore this idea of how do we create the future we really want. So I'm very, very uh, impressed with it, with it and recommend it to anyone who's listening. Um, Deborah, you're challenging us in the book to walk out of limiting beliefs and assumptions and walk on to create healthy and resilient communities. And um, I would love to begin by having you tell us your own fascinating story about a career that, in my words, took a dramatic turn in 2001. Would you just start out by telling us your story? Sure. I, uh, I had my own moment. Um, it was a, a little wake-up call when my, my colleague Manish Jain, who I wrote about in Walk Out, Walk On, turned and looked at me and he says in 2002, he goes, well, you're a walkout. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and it really helped me understand what had happened. Um, I, uh, from 98 to 2001, I had been part of the dot-com boom. I had uh, finished business school in 1998 at a time when everybody was launching dot-com businesses and along with some classmates from business school, started a dot-com that was successful. 
And um, in 2001, as the dot-com bubble burst, I had a really difficult experience of witnessing behavior among my colleagues that at the time I could only understand as bad behavior, as greedy, as short-term, as self-interested. And when I resigned in 2001, I had a, a huge amount of disillusionment. My heart was really broken about what I had witnessed. And I was fortunate enough to meet some dear people that became teachers and mentors to me, particularly Peter Block and Meg Wheatley, who invited me to think a little bit differently about what I had witnessed and suggested that perhaps these weren't bad people, that perhaps they were actually playing by the rules of the game that we were in. And the game that we were in, the game of business, was oriented toward maximizing short-term results at any cost. And that the behavior that I saw, the sort of fear and anxiety that came up as this sudden decline occurred in each of our organizations in the dot-com world, um, the behavior actually was completely fitting the game that we were playing. And that was my first introduction to systems thinking, that somewhere along the way in all of my education and, and work experience, I had never encountered the notion of thinking about the design of the rules of the game or the system that we were in and how that was defining our behavior. Mm. And so this was a window into saying something's wrong and it's not the people. People are basically good. Something's wrong in the design of our systems. Now, having realized that, you could have resumed your place in corporate America and with, you know, equipped with this perspective, you know, wiser, probably gone on doing what you were doing, but you didn't. Tell us what you did. Well, it was, it actually was, it was not a sudden moment of learning, right? It was, it was an opening into beginning to understand systems thinking. And I had quite a long journey of doing that. I was fortunate enough to then uh, join Meg Wheatley at the Burkana Institute. And Meg founded Burkana after writing Leadership in the New Science, which was really a groundbreaking book in thinking about how we understand the way life works, the way living systems work, and the way humans are in community and with each other. And it, it, I really needed to immerse myself in that world and understand another way that humans organize to create positive change. And by doing that, learning over in this other way of understanding community and organizing, that, that was a way of looking back on the way we've designed the sort of default culture and organizational life that to me feels fundamentally flawed, like deeply flawed. And, and we really need to look underneath um, the way we've structured organizations into our value system, into our belief systems. And so that was the reason not to walk back in yet. Um, and who knows what may happen in the future, but to say there's actually a, a, a long learning journey and a deep learning journey for myself to understand what's underneath the systems that we've structured. Just for the sake of those who may not be familiar with Meg's work and your story, um, can you say just a little bit, um, Deborah, about what you view as flawed about the current system? Sort of what, what's the opportunity? Yeah, we've, we've sort of built our world around the sort of mechanized worldview, the belief that people are a lot like machines, that they're, the world is predictable and linear and causal. And that um, we can create a plan for the future, map that out, and that people will follow it and it will f unfold the way we'd like it to. That's the mechanized worldview. And, and that's false. It's just, in, in fact, 
to me, there's almost this grand collusion in the 10-year plan that we all know that it will never unfold exactly the way we hope it will. And yet we continue to perpetuate that illusion. We continue to, to live in the world as if the world is predictable and controllable and linear. And in fact, one of the things that Meg's work really sh- helped make visible was that, that really the way change happens is through self-organization and emergence, that the world is fundamentally unpredictable, uncontrollable, it's highly complex and it's highly interconnected. And we actually can't plan our way into the future with a certain kind of, you know, strong roadmap and um, step-by-step linear process. What we can do is set our intention and work with work alongside the complexity and the chaos, work with emergence and work to allow surprise to unfold and develop in ourselves a capacity to adapt and respond and reflect continually. And that's a very different way to organize and to plan for the future than than the roadmap. It is a very different way. And it, it is um, definitely not, not in my experience, uh, working in, with corporate clients the way that people think about what we call planning. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, the, um, one of the conversations I find myself in a lot is about, you know, the strategic plan. And that doesn't, we, it's not about throwing strategy away. Strategy is still critical and still, still useful. It's our assumptions about how we get there and what processes we use um, among each other to plan for the future. So strategy is valuable. It's looking more deeply, actually, at what's at, at the assumptions behind the strategy and, and what our process will be for getting there. That's what I'm hearing you say. Right. And, and really focusing more on our capacity to adapt and be resilient because the world is unpredictable, starting with the assumption that surprise will always happen. So how do we develop a capacity to be resilient, which means have the capacity to respond and adapt to surprise without losing our ground, without losing our center? How do we develop that capacity? That's what's strategic today. You know, I think that's one of the reasons that I love to work with vision the way that I do is because when we invite people to, to, to vision or to do some visioning, we're asking them to um, imagine a future that they would love to create from the present moment. And I find myself often telling people, it's really okay if you never get there. Its purpose is to give you a picture of the destination that you really desire, and then you'll set out on your journey, and you'll learn as you go, and as you go, you'll adapt, and as you get closer and closer, it may look differently. You'll make changes, you know. So, it, but it's a, it's that kind of a flexible, um, but purposeful approach. So, go ahead. Right. I mean, so when when we we talk about, I'm I'm agree completely with the notion that the vision is something out there that you aspire to and that you're pointing at. It's like your compass. Mm-hmm. And today's action is set in that direction. That's why a compass metaphor is useful. It's set in that direction, but it's not about figuring out how you're going to get that whole vision implemented today. We talk about um, the minimal elegant next step. So one of the ways of working with emergence is to say, what's in front of me, the thing to do today or next, is to take the minimal elegant next step toward that vision, then from that new place that I'm standing in, look around again and assess what's the minimal elegant next step now. What and do you mean by elegant, Deborah? Do you mean do you mean it it feels effortless and, and right versus you know the the hard, laborious, you know, challenging next step? 
Yeah, there's a there's a sort of paradox around this notion of effortlessness that I, I want to sort of hold the tension in it because it, to one degree the answer is yes. We sort of say, you know, if it's hard, do something different. Um, it's not it's not about lazy and it's not about effortless, but it is about the notion that again in the mechanized worldview you're sort of on the path of more, faster, harder, better. And that if we just put more effort in, if we just put a few more hours in, if we just work harder, we'll get there. And this is actually about letting go of that notion that we have to sort of suffer and martyr ourselves to get the right solution and moving toward a bit more effortlessness, which doesn't mean it's not about hard work and discipline. So I, I think sometimes we go too far in the opposite extreme and think, well, it's supposed to be easy. It's not supposed to be easy, but it is supposed to be about fluidity, that you move in the direction where flow is possible and you stop batting your head against the wall. Oh, I like this. I can, I'm experiencing a sense of relief <laughs> just hearing you describe this. Um, I'm interested in, you know, in, in you, Deborah, and understanding more about who you are. And could you just give us kind of a snapshot of your background and how you, a brief description of how you would describe um, the work that you do now. We have a, a couple minutes before our break. Sure. Well, my background has been a little bit eclectic <laughs> from being a magazine editor and working in the sports industry and then transitioning over into doing an MBA and launching this .com. Um, so that, that covered the first 10 years of my career. Um, and then uh, stepping into this path um, which I entered in 2002 with Burkana and then um, sort of pausing from this immersive journey, learning journey for myself all around the world with fellow fellow travelers um, to write the book in 2009. And, and so it's really been about listening to all of the ways in which I have carried a set of beliefs that I inherited from the dominant culture I've grown up in around change and around possibility and around leadership and noticing where all of those assumptions that have been in the background of my thinking could move to the foreground and make different choices about them. And, and I've been privileged to meet these pioneering leaders in different communities around the world that we wrote about and walk out, walk on and learn their stories that have really invited me to see the world very differently out there and then also to look inside and see how might I be a different kind of a leader? How might I contribute to community in a more productive way? So given this exposure you've had and this awareness, um, not just to be in the system, but actually to observe the system and understand what's happening and why, um, what, what, do you, what do you see? You know, what, what is it that guides you? Um, you know, it's, it's a, sometimes it's too easy to say, but relationship. Um, what I see is the fact that each and every one of us has a gift to contribute to the world, no matter what our educational background or professional background or where we live. And that if we can somehow create the conditions to make space for that collective intelligence to show up, I do believe that we can solve every problem that we have. But we have a lot to learn about how to do that. You know, on that note, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, Deborah, I would love to begin to talk about Walk Out, Walk On. We'll be right back. We're all 
always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email... Please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. Good morning. This is Kate, and my guest today is Deborah Fries. She is the author with Meg Wheatley of a book called Walk Out, Walk On. And in this book, Deborah, you describe yourselves as hosts who are taking us on a learning journey. And in the course of reading the book, we get to meet seven communities around the world and learn from them, as well as both you and Meg as narrators. And those communities I know span Mexico, Brazil, South America, Zimbabwe, India, Greece, and the United States. And would love for you to tell us more about this book. What does the title mean? Walk out, walk on. So um, the title is sort of one of the greatest gifts I feel like I've received in this whole process. Um, the, the title actually comes from a colleague of mine that I mentioned earlier, Manish Jain, who runs a learning community called Shikshantar in Udaipur, India. And Manish was sharing a story with Meg and myself years ago about a walkouts network that he had helped create in India. And the story was that there were a lot of young people in India who were dropping out of school. They were in high school and and they were dropouts. And as he went around and he asked these young people their stories, what what had happened to them? Why had they dropped out? They talked about failing school and just wasn't anything that was suiting them there. And they, they stepped out of it. And the school had labeled them, of course, dropouts, as we do, that they had failed school. And as Manish asked them about their lives, and he learned that they were finding their way in their communities, they were turning to craftspeople and asking them about their work, and they were turning to elders and listening to stories, and they were creating learning for themselves outside the school environment. He said, you know what, you're not walkouts, you're not dropouts, you're walkouts. You're walking out of a system, not that you have failed, but a system that has failed you. And you're walking on to create learning where it wasn't available for you before. And as we listened to that story, we heard this notion of people who are walking out of failing systems 
and walking on to create a more enriching path for themselves. And then we noticed it was happening all over the world, that it was happening in schools, it was happening in all kinds of communities where people were walking out of jobs that didn't fulfill them. They were walking out of careers that felt uh, empty and didn't create uh, the kind of livelihoods that they cared to build in the world. And so we recognized this and named this walkouts community of people that we had met who are walking out of this idea of scarce resources and destructive individualism that a lot that is a lot of our big systems are stuck with right now and are walking on to most critically the critical word here is to really experiment with the new we don't know what we're walking on to this is the pioneering aspect of going into the great unknown but actively experimenting and reflecting and failing and trying again to invent a different path for themselves. And in this case, in the case of the book, the path is about how do we build healthy and resilient communities? And what that requires is that we walk out of a lot of the systems that are meant to address those problems and are failing to, and we experiment with building other ways. Thank you. That was um, a beautiful description and, and explanation. And, you know, I, I was reading the book and noticed that you wrote that... Um, you know, I'll actually quote the book. Walkouts are people who bravely choose to leave behind situations, jobs, relationships, and ideas that constrict and confine them. Anything that inhibits them, they walk on to the ideas, people, and practices that enable them to explore and discover new gifts, new possibilities. And then you go on to say that what you just said, I'm saying it back. As old mm-hmm. systems fail, a few people walk out, they experiment, and it, and here's what I want to add. At first, they feel isolated and alone, limited in what they can achieve. They often don't realize there are other walkouts. Um, you write about walk-ons, that walk-ons find each other and connect, and together they learn quickly, take greater risks, and support one another to continue their pioneering work, and a new system is born from their efforts. And so, I, I wanted to showcase this showcase this because I do find that many people um, who I know contemplate walking out fear this feeling of isolation and being alone being pioneering it, it feels so risky um, and I, I wanted to just hear your thoughts about um, if you're if you're contemplating walking out how should you take heart it, it is so essential to find fellow walkouts. There's no way to do this without that. The truth is that you're going to feel isolated and alone at times because the, whatever is dominant in the culture, um, when you choose to walk out of that, and sometimes it's as radical as these kids in India walking out of an institution, but more often walking out actually is inside. It's walking out of a belief set. And that might be a, a, a dominant set of beliefs in your organization that you're staying inside. Either way, it is a very isolating feeling to say, I no longer wish to participate in, the, in, in that behavior or that way of engaging with each other. I'm going to walk out and there are moments that I'm going to be feeling brave and feeling courageous. And there are moments that I'm going to have uh, just be lost in self-doubt. And so the critical piece is finding other walkouts. And they may not be in your own community. They may not be in your own organization, but there are walkouts everywhere who are in the same experiments as each of us are in. And so it is a question of finding and connecting them. And that was really our work in the Burkhan Exchange was, wow, these people are 
walking out and walking on in downtown Johannesburg and they're doing it in rural Zimbabwe and they're doing it in a favela in Brazil and they're doing it in Columbus, Ohio. What would it be like if these people who are taking courageous action, bucking the trend and bucking the status quo where they live, knew that there were others just like them and could exchange stories with them and and turn to each other when they had their greatest moments of self-doubt? Because when I'm a pioneer and I have my moment of self-doubt, another pioneer is feeling courageous. And we together can support each other and, um, and, and deal with those moments of isolation that are inevitably going to come up when we try to walk a different path. Hmm. Tell us a story. Give us an example of a community where people have walked out and walked on. There are really um, incredible stories, and it's hard to choose one. So I, I, I'll, I'll just throw in, even though this one may feel for most listeners like the most remote um, I also found it one of the most powerful. So it's a story of Kafunda Learning Village in Zimbabwe. And for those who've not followed what happened to Zimbabwe over the past decade, um, what we have is a story of complete and total systems collapse. You have what was really quite a well-developed country in terms of infrastructure and even economy. It was a, considered the breadbasket of Africa, a net exporter of food, um, and, and a complete collapse of every aspect of the country. Um, so complete failure of the agricultural system, um, 89.7 sextillion percent inflation, if you can try to make sense of that number. Mm-hmm. Um, no, no functioning hospitals, no functioning schools, et cetera. In the face of that absolute incontrovertible scarcity, the Kafundis, the people who live at Kafunda Learning Village, the Kafundis declared abundance. So this is walking out of the limiting belief of scarcity and walking on to declare abundance in the face of evidence absolutely to the contrary and say, we have everything we need. The leaders we need are already here. It's us. And we are going to build a healthy and resilient community anyway. And so they started to do things like... Um, turn to the elders to be reminded of uh, former agricultural practices that look a lot like today's progressive permaculture practices, uh, organic agricultural practices, and, you know, reinstitute some of those practices. They started to look at um, a fascinating solution to a problem of ecological sanitation that they created called the Arbor Loo, where you have, you know, no toilets that are workable in the community, and they dig a hole and they fill it as a toilet, and then they plant a fruit tree in it in soil that otherwise could not have sustained a fruit tree. Um, there's a lot more to say about <laughs> some of those solutions. But, but what's most important is really that every problem that they faced, they said, what happens if we look at the world through eyes of abundance? Even if it's not true, that if we take it as a belief system, Where will we see assets where other people see waste, where other people see destruction, where other people see no possibility? Where with this new lens can we see possibility? And one one of the things that happened is I I brought a group on a learning journey to Zimbabwe several years ago, and it was a group of executive directors from Boston's top nonprofits. It was a fellowship program. And they at the time were in their own struggles with the economy changing of not enough funding, too competitive, I don't have enough influence, I can't access the people I want to access. All these scarcity stories, and they set foot at Kafunda, 
And their whole world, their whole lens had to shift. That how, how is it that I have so much and I'm locked inside my story of scarcity, which is just a story. It's just a limiting belief. What becomes possible if I walk out of that limiting belief and walk on to claim a new one? Thank you. That is a, a, a beautiful illustration of the points that you're making. And, um, it, and that was some years ago. How are the people in Kafundi doing now? They're still struggling. It is a tough, tough place to hang in there. Um, and it's a roller coaster of up and down. They're still here, which is incredible right now in Zimbabwe. They are still feeding themselves. They are still learning how to create small business businesses for themselves. They have a web of partnerships in other communities throughout Zimbabwe that they are learning with together. And that web of, of community relationships is spreading so that they're sort of other versions of communities creating a Kafunda-like um, experience where they are locally. Um, and, I, you know, I'm under no illusion that they're succeeding the way we'd like to see them succeed, meaning, you know, our, our lens is they should be growing and they should be increasing their budget and they should be increasing their output. That's not what's going on. But what is going on is that the relationships that they're in are holding strong and steady in the face of this continuing difficulty and that they're still deeply in the experiment and they're still sending a lot of their learning to others around the world. Very different criteria for success and yet criteria that are, sound very meaningful. Um, you know, to be holding your own, to be in dialogue with others uh, who are, want to learn with you and from you, um, and to, as you put it, st still to be here and to have the benefits of the experiments that you've been doing, um, that's really something. And there's still a community that holds together and loves each other. And the number of people around the world who feel an affinity for Kafunda, who show up, people travel to Zimbabwe in these times throughout the past several years, people still show up to be at Kafunda because it is a place of love and community and commitment to a new future. That to me is success. We're going to take another break. When we come back, Deborah, I would love to talk about this idea of learning journeys and what it means to go on one and participate in one. We'll be right back. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Tune in to Tom Says for practical solutions that you can use in your life. Whether it's information you can use for business, spiritual awareness, health, or personal issues, you'll want to listen to this life-changing program hosted by Tom Gerbic. Tom will also invite you to participate by calling in or sending emails. There's no topic that's taboo. With Tom's life experiences, you'll find that a weekly visit can be truly inspiring. Tom Says can be heard on the Voice America Variety Channel every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, with a weekly rebroadcast on the Voice America Business Channel. Did you know that the number one concern of American business is the ability to attract and retain qualified workers? Yet millions of qualified American workers with disabilities are sitting on the sidelines. Disabilities at Work Radio focuses on businesses and their workforce needs and also offers other topics of interest to people with disabilities, their families, and supporters. Join Disabilities at Work Radio every Wednesday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 
Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. Hi, this is Kate. Deborah Fries and I are talking about... Uh, walk out, walk on, a learning journey into communities daring to live the future now. And this is a wonderful conversation about communities all over the world who are stepping into, in the present moment, the future that they really want, rather than staying stuck in the limiting beliefs and limiting view that um, that may reflect their current situation and system. So we're going to talk a little bit about this idea of a learning journey. And Deborah, the book, as I as I said earlier, is clearly structured as a journey with you and Meg Wheatley as the hosts. And um, one of the things you say about journey is that quests begin with a yearning that won't let us go. And I certainly see this in my own work. I see yearning in the clients I work with for something more, something different. I'm curious, what's the yearning that won't let go of you? <laughs> That's a great question. You know, I I think that um, something that I am deeply, deeply called to is the idea of every single one of us being able to contribute our unique gift. And in the world that we live in, for the most part, um, there's an assumption that not everyone is equipped to make a difference, that some people are leaders and some people aren't. And I, I feel very differently about that. I think that everyone, anyone who wishes to step forward and offer something to make a contribution is a leader and, and is essential for us to change the world. And the notion that there are people, there are experts, there are the leaders on top who know what we should do and the rest of us should follow. Um, that's never going to create the quality of change that we need, the quantity or the quality of change that we need in the world. So the, the yearning for me is that each of us believe, feel in ourselves and believe that I have something essential and important to contribute and that the form of community and the form of organization that I participate in is one that calls that forth, is one that relies on me, is counting on me to offer that contribution. If we could shift the world to that, I believe that we would see all kinds of breakthroughs in our intractable problems, all kinds of joy being expressed all kinds of possibilities showing up. <laughs> I love I love listening to you and I'm thinking, wow, I asked the question, what is the yearning that won't let go of you? And it's just so clear that this yearning really has you, Deborah. <laughs> yeah, I think it does. I think it does. <laughs> You're very passionate as you speak that. A very powerful statement. Um, 
You point out that a learning journey can be judged successful by how much it destabilizes and challenges our worldview. Say more about this. Yeah, that's a little counterintuitive. Um, you know, I I know that there are lots of different kinds of personality types, and certainly my friends and colleagues know that I, I favor destabilization and surprise. However, I think that um, when we stay in the space of comfort and stability, um, probably what's going to happen is that we're going to get more of the same. And that's not necessarily bad, depending on where we are in the life cycle of the work that we're in. There's a sort of early to middle stage time of building things in which you actually want some stability and you want things to be a little bit more well-managed. But in the stage of problems that I'm looking at, that I, I spend my time on, which are mostly the sort of chronic intractable problems that we've been stuck with for a long time, whether it's about feeding ourselves or taking a, attending to our healing or our failing school systems or failing economic systems, um, we desperately need to be destabilized. We desperately need to be disrupted and provoked, not so much that we can't engage. So there's a, a delicate balance of how much you can destabilize someone, and that's uh, part of the craft of creating a good learning journey. But we need to be disturbed enough to wake up and pay attention and start looking differently at things, that we need to have new eyes to look out on the world. And it can be very difficult to do that by staying home and staying in the familiar. Um, and so what Meg and I wanted to do with the book was say, well, not everybody can go on a learning journey to Zimbabwe or Brazil, but everybody can go on a learning journey in their minds. And is it possible for us to create an engaging on the ground storytelling type of book that would offer that bit of disrupt disruption and provocation um, that we could experiment with from staying home? You know, I, I really appreciate this idea. And, um, you know, as, I, as I'm working myself on a book about how to be visionary, how to use vision to move your life forward, I've, I've developed a similar structure in, in my thinking. And I just want to say it out loud for our listeners because I think it's um, beautifully simple and maybe helps people see what the course is all about. So you begin with the idea of preparing to leave home. And what I know about this is that Home is maybe a comfortable place, maybe a, a uncomfortable place, could be a harmonious place, could be a not a harmonious place. But leaving home is a big step. So preparing to leave home, the decision to, to seek something new. Um, then you write about the courage to quest. And there is a moment that calls for courage to step into the unknown. Um, you talk about packing for the journey, getting ready. And I've realized with this step that often the things we pack aren't actually the things we need. <laughs> right. Most <laughs> but, often. <laughs> most often. But they sure do help us feel more prepared at that moment when we're taking those steps. Then there's the journey itself and all of the discovery and... Um, kind of well, restructuring of, of one's view that happens when you really take a trip and you really journey somewhere, whether it's a new job, a new part of the world, a new way of um, relating to people, whatever your journey's about. Then there's the re choice to return home and you come home inevitably changed. Um, still the same, carrying that old story with you in, in many ways, but also carrying new distinctions, new eyes, new awarenesses um, that cause you to look at the old and familiar in a very different way and now there are some choices to make so your final step and you, you use the structure in your book is reflection 
and really reflecting on sort of who am, I, who am I becoming? What do I see? What's possible now? And then choosing to act. So I, I, I love the structure and I just wanted to lay it out there for people because I, I think this is the process of growth and personal transformation. And I think in the context you're talking about it, it's the process of um, tr- transforming, but not only by yourself, but actually in community with the support system. Yeah, and that's actually the the thing that I think is most difficult along the way is is the returning home. And and one of the things that we've been learning is when people go on a learning journey and they go alone and they return home alone, it can be incredibly difficult to sustain the new worldview that you stepped into. The the sort of dominant culture that you're in has an incredible sort of sucking capacity to pull you back into it. And so, and it also has a desire, you know, a system wants to preserve itself, right? Every system is inclined towards self-preservation. So it wants to pull you back in. And so we really, when we return home, if we don't have somebody back at home who's been in similar questions, then we actually really need to sustain the connections with those who aren't where we live because it's so difficult to walk the new path and not fall back into habits. Thank you for saying that. I th- I think that's in- entirely true. And I can remember uh, a good friend of mine returning from the Peace Corps after a couple of years, and she told me the best question anyone from her old life asked her about the Peace Corps was, tell me about your friends. Mm-hmm. Because that gave her a much better way to talk than simply, what was it like? Or what did you do? Or <laughs> Some of those questions. You know, it's really like any new practice that we get into for those who, whether whether you want to think about it as like something as simple as, you know, changing your diet or having a workout program. Um, Just because you've had one incredible month of behaving in this new way, um, it is a daily practice. It is an ongoing practice that doesn't, you know, you don't, this, this is no different. You don't get the one shot deal and now you're done. You're in your new world. It's how do I sustain this regularly? And maybe, maybe it feels like I, it's got me for six months, but then it begins to fade. And so, you know, there has to be the, both the daily practices and the ongoing immersions in some way of reconnecting me to these new ways of being in the world, to these new beliefs that I'm embracing. I, I think you're really seeing these experiences as a journey that continues um, and a journey of becoming. So in other words, we never just become and, and we're done, but the becoming continues and living with the beliefs and the philosophies and the practices that are important to us particularly now having had this journey, um, that becomes a kind of um, the ongoing quest, really. Yeah, and for me, it's been a a very big part of my life, especially as I've sort of shifted from, you know, eight years of being out in all these communities to being more at home in Boston in the United States. Um, I know how badly I need to stay reconnected. I know how often I need to regularly talk to my friends in these communities, regularly be in learning and reflective practice with friends and colleagues who are asking difficult questions about how they live. And that if too much time passes, for me without doing that, it does start to fade. It has to be integrated in a regular way in my life. Great instruction for us. Um, You know, I I would love to invite you to tell the story about the work that you did in the United States, the seventh story in the book, um, because I think sometimes we think 
we, we tend to sort of think these transformational things happen in other places. Um, could you just tell us that story? We have a break in a couple minutes. We'd love to hear this. Yeah, so um, this is a story about Columbus, Ohio, and Meg and I were quite deliberate about including that in the book because we didn't want people, uh, in, especially in the global north, to say, well, this is all fine in the global south, but it has nothing to do with me. It has very much to do with each and every one of us. And it's a story about walking out of the mindset of the heroic leader, the, the leader who has all the answers and who we follow. We surrender to that leader's wisdom and greater capacity, um, expecting the leader, the, the hero to save the day and walking on to the leader as host, hosting the collective intelligence that's available in community. And Columbus, Ohio has taken on large-scale intractable problems like homelessness, hunger, issues in higher education, and believe it or not, the healthcare system. They're actually saying, all right, fine, healthcare isn't working. What can we as citizens of Columbus, Ohio do to create a totally different approach to being healthy as human beings? And so they were audacious enough to ask big questions and say, if we walk out of the heroic mindset that any one leader is supposed to have the answer and walk on to the notion of the leader as hosting the collective intelligence that is in all of us, no one person has the answer to these big problems, but we do together. And they've been in that process and having incredible stories, some micro level, small successes, and some macro level, large successes, in inventing a different way to be in those big questions together. Wow. Well, we're going to take a break right now. You're listening to Visionary Leader, Extraordinary Life. This is Kate, Ebra, Kate Ebner, and I'm talking to Deborah Fries. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Are you tired of the government squandering your tax dollars on bailouts and overpaid bureaucrats? On Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Mike Beitler and his guests explain why big government regulations are the problem and innovative businesses and free markets are the solution. Listen to Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Network. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. Drawing on resources from wellness communities throughout America and abroad, the show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. If you'd rather send an email, 
please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. Welcome back. I want to let you know that if you sign up this week for one of our newsletters, you are eligible to receive a free copy of Walk Out, Walk On. So please go to Nebo Company and sign up for a newsletter, and we will gladly send a copy to um, one of the folks who does that. So look forward to, to getting that out to you. I'm talking today with Deborah Fries, and we are in a, a discussion about um, creating the future you want now. And Deborah's explaining to us uh, what it takes to actually walk out and walk on. Um, Deborah, I wonder, you know, as we kind of come to the top of our hour, um, what advice do you have or what encouragement can you offer to our listeners who may be really ready to begin their own journey? Well, there was um, a phrase that I learned from Meg Wheatley years ago that really struck me when I first stepped into this work. And it was coined by her colleague, Myron Kellner Rogers. And, And the phrase is, start anywhere, follow it everywhere. And that has actually really been a a bit of a motto for me. And it's the idea that you don't actually have to know where you're going. Um, You have to just start with what's in front of you. It's like that minimal, elegant next step we talked about earlier. It's start where your passion is. Start with what's easy. Start with a relationship that's opening the door to you. And then see where that leads and then see where that leads, and then see where that leads. So that's the notion of follow it everywhere. And it, it, it makes the whole idea of trying to change the world, which sounds so huge, um, it breaks it down into that small, actionable first step. It doesn't matter how small it is. And you hear time and time again of how large, large change emerged from small actions, a conversation at a cafe, uh, planting a few trees. You know, the, the story that I love telling of, you know, Wangari Matai, who won the Nobel Peace Prize of trans- planting seven trees in a park, five of which died. And now there are 40 million trees planted throughout Africa. So small action, start anywhere and then trust yourself to follow that action. So um, that, that would be the first piece, but the, the, I'd like to add another bit to it, um, which is once you begin the start anywhere, follow it everywhere, there's two other parts. The second is you have to find fellow travelers. You cannot do this alone. There have to be other people that you turn to again when you lose your way or lose courage, need others to reinvigorate your thinking or just boost your energy. Um, and then the third part is reflective practice. You can't start anywhere, follow it everywhere if you're not paying attention to this moment, to where you are. So as we take that first step forward, then we are standing in a new place, the world looks different and we have to reflect on where we are and not be set on what we thought we were trying to do one step back. We actually invite ourselves to pause and take the time and ask our friends, what do you see now? Am I still on the path I wanna be on? How do I actually redirect myself so that I am still moving toward that vision that I have, but I'm taking a step in a different direction than I thought I would have two steps back? So start anywhere, follow it everywhere. The notion of fellow travelers and the reflective practice being built into our lives. Thank you for that. The last part of what you said is is interesting to me, Um, being able to reflect and really make 
adaptations. Um, it, it reminded me of the idea of you know, checking in with yourself, you know, asking your heart, asking, you know, going back to some of our other shows, actually, some of our guests have talked about um, choosing uh, a path by the way your what, what your what your body wisdom tells you by the the, the heart by the gut you know checking mm-hmm. in does this is this still right for me is this is this what's the next step based on what I instinctively feel versus just the logic and the analysis that I might normally rely upon um, and I'm and I'm wondering because I want to give people who are listening a sense that um, it's not like the star keeps moving the north star keeps moving it's more that your relationship perhaps to the original um, the original definition of the quest evolves. Is that right? Yeah, and, and the conditions are changing on us all the time. Um, so we have to be able to take in, I mean, the, some of the thinking, the work in, in systems thinking is this ongoing set of feedback loops so that, um, you know, there's a lot. When I first arrived at the Burkana Institute, I would go to a board meeting and it would be a two-day board meeting and we'd spend a day and a half reconnecting to purpose, principles, and values. And I think, oh, my God, when are we ever going to get anything done? And, and then the last half day, the getting done bit would happen incredibly quickly because we had so well grounded ourselves in reminding us where we are why we're here and what the world looks like now from this vantage point so that the action falls out of that. It comes from the fact that from the last time we met to this time, the world changed on us, the world out there externally, which is changing incredibly quickly and the world among us, our relationships, our learning, our practices together and the world inside each of us, my own internal landscape, whether that is the clarity in my heart or my gut about what I want, or just the way I keep taking in new feedback, I keep taking in new ideas. And so my lens is continually expanding and I'm seeing things differently all the time. So how do I say that that's actually not a distraction? That's not a loss of focus. That's an expansion of my wisdom. And how do I act from that? Thank you very much. This is uh, illuminating it, it. You know, the, the idea of um, pioneering, of experimenting, you know, giving ourselves the freedom to learn from those experiments without feeling that we've succeeded or failed, you know, in, in a sort of a more um, binary way, uh, if we get there or we don't, you know, so that, so that your model is, or your, your concepts really suggest that we're always learning, always experimenting, learning as we go and adapting, and that that's incredibly important. Um, I wonder, you know, as we, as we come to the top of the hour, one of your most important messages is that we cannot act alone. Um, our sense of defining our destiny apart from all others is kind of a blind one. And I'd love for you to share a story, if you could, of some of the, one of the communities you've worked with where people have really tapped into the wisdom of each other. Mm-hmm. Well, I think all of them have been um, really incredible at recognizing the, the interdependence that they have, but one one story. See if I can tell it briefly. Um, that I think shows the notion that we can't do it alone, and we can trust each other to show up for each other. There's a, a story from Brazil. There was a game being played called Warriors Without Weapons game, which was essentially about a urban um, renewal type of project. And there was this 11,000 square foot abandoned. Apple warehouse just filled with trash, detritus, syringes, just a mess. And we were playing a game to clean it up. And it was going to be 15 minutes a day 
for 30 days to clean up this abandoned Apple warehouse for the com- a community of 60 people. And we were all like, there is no way this could ever get done. And we were telling the people running the game, please let us spend eight hours in here. Let us just power through for several days and then maybe we'll get it done. And they said, no, the rule of the game is 15 minutes a day. Trust that, trust that. And as we did it, more people from the community showed up and more people from the community showed up and more people from the community showed up until there were hundreds of people in there helping because it wasn't eight hours a day. It wasn't suffering and working really hard. It was joyful. It was short. And even though we didn't know who it would be, we could count on community to show up for each other. And so that's the invitation to say, I don't know how this is going to work, but if I trust that there are enough of us, we, we can do this together. Thank you, Deborah Fries. It's just been a delight to have you on this show today. Thank you, Kate. It's been a joy. I've really enjoyed the conversation. I have as well, and I wish you the best um, with your work with Burkana Institute and the Burkana Exchange, and I hope we can continue our conversation together about um, how to support this kind of change in the world as communities tap into their own resilience. It's been a true pleasure. Thank you all for joining us today. Thank you. We sincerely hope you've enjoyed hearing from leaders who are using vision to create an inspiring future. Please join host Kate Ebner for another edition of Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business Channel. Meanwhile, visit www.nebocompany.com for more tips on bringing your own vision to life. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network 